and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Radio. And this week we're talking about episode two, two. of Lisey's story. Lisey's story. Entitled Blood Bull. I'm, I'm beginning to lose patience with made up words, but okay. It's not gonna you you better get comfortable because all these words are made up for well, the rest all of this words whole are made show. Up. It's true. But it's just it just seemed very funny. It's like I, I don't know what that word means. I can't understand it. Oh well it doesn't mean anything just yet. Okay, before we get to it, <laughs> how was your week? My week was actually interesting. I um, I went and bought two horrifying children's masks that I'm going to hang on my wall. Yes. And perhaps I can post a picture of them. I was going to Google paper mache well. baby mask. Well, it, yes. They it look s- like a Stephen King right. thing. I, I'm not sure exactly why they're so small. The mask is about the size to fit over my fist. And it has eye holes and nose holes for breathing, but I don't know who they would fit, or what species Babies. of human being, or gibbons. It could be gibbon masks. But anyhow, I bought them both because they're both frightening and strange-looking, and I want to hang them up on my wall to decorate the blank walls of my bedroom, which none of you viewers can see. But they are blank. They are blank. He has one giant wall. With so much wall space and zero things on it. Yeah. Zero. I have given him paintings. Uh, we has posters. Well, she gave me a painting and then she just dumped it on the floor unceremoniously. I did. Ju- well, no. Uh-uh. That mm-hmm. is not true. And I will not be spoken to like that. I was sitting here minding my own business, not mm-hmm. even looking in the right direction. And it went, kushump. <laughs> and it fell down. Kushump. Because we're... Haunted. A likely story. It was Kashimpa. Of course, it's probably going to be more haunted that I brought these horrifying masks into the house. Probably. I don't like them. I don't enjoy them. They scare me a little bit. But more power to you. I'm glad you like them. So how was your week? Uh, Bad. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm having a bad week. Having a tough time over here. Stressed out about this recall. Uh, A close friend of ours passed away. Yes, he did. And I have not had a chance to process that. Uh, there was a lot of baking. I did make really good cupcakes. You made amazing cupcakes. Um, and I did get to paint a little bit, but I haven't processed anything. Yeah. I almost lost two cu- two clients today, but then it turns out I might only lose one client. It's a lot. There's a lot of things happening, and I uh, I'm not doing great with it. So I'm sorry. It's all right. Anything um, I can do? Uh, no. I can put I my head through that. a telephone booth and show you how much I care. It wasn't a telephone booth, but we'll get to it. Wasn't it? It was not. Okay. It was a shop window, and I believe the shop was actually not a shop, but a laundromat. It was too dark to see. Uh, it was lit from within on the inside. Okay, you want to get to the, sure. to get to the story? Okay. I wa- rewatched it today because it's really the only thing I could bring myself to like do, so bull. I watched it. Remember that word, bull. And I took really good notes um oh but before we get started with the notes what we what i neglected what we neglected to talk about last time was where the story sort of the genesis of the story came mm-hmm. from and uh that was in uh 2003 when stephen king had uh he came down with something referred to as double pneumonia <laughs> what is that <laughs> like is it viral and bacterial i don't he had a big pneumonia big mm-hmm. pneumonia and he was in the hospital for a significant amount of time Okay. And when he came back, Tabitha had redesigned his studio, but not unpacked all of his things. So he came back, and it's just boxes. It's just all of his shit is in boxes. And he was like, this is what it's going to look like when I'm gone. Right. And that gives us Scott's studio, uh-huh. where we spend a significant portion of this particular episode, even though we almost we see almost none of it mm-hmm. there. But there's a lot of flashing back to Julianne Moore's character, Lisey, uh, in that studio. So that's where it sort of pulled from. Next, so the next thing I would like to speak about before we get to the actual episode is the credits. The credits are so beautiful. beautiful. Mm-hmm. I wrote, these credits, Julianne Marionette and Clive Marionette, and she's wet, and he's pages, and she gets a shovel and a sunset. And the fingers doing the marionetting are also marionettes. And then right when you see the fingers with the strings, mm-hmm. which are also marionette fingers, they're, right. they're not real fingers, um, that coincides with the, the directed by title screen. Very good. Yes. <laughs> 
It's very good. They're very beautiful. I, I've watched them three times now because, well, four times now because I've watched each of these episodes twice. Because <sighs> I can't remember anything. Yay! Everything's fine. All right. All right. We get we get into my notes. I I took such good notes. I have three and a half pages, two and a half pages of notes. Note one. We're outside at the Langdon's, and Lisi is swimming with Corvids. After walking from the house to the pool down the path with no shoes on, she should get some some flip flops. She should. And she jumps in the end of the pool where the steps are, which doesn't seem like the place where you should jump into a pool. But maybe it's possible that the steps go one, two, one, three, big drop. I don't know. But she dives in from the into the shallow end of the pool. She like leaps into towards the middle of the pool. It's mm. not a particularly like it's not an Olympic sized pool or anything right. like that. And this is where where we get the overhead shot of the pool. So it is clear that it is a rectangle, and the top of the rectangle, like on the so if we're looking at a rectangle on its side, horizontal rectangle. Mm-hmm. Got it. Then on the right side of the rectangle is the where the steps are, and that's where she dives in. And on the top side of the rectangle, that's where all the plants are, and that's sort of overgrown into the into so the pool. So it looks like the banks of a creek or something. Mm-hmm. Only on that one side, okay. and there's like lily pads and lily and pads. grasses, and look like natural foliage, uh, foliage for uh, for water. And then on the other side, it's just a stone rectangle. So got it. That makes a little bit more sense and it's a little bit easier to understand what is happening with some of these flashbacks, even though it, it doesn't really because some of the shit's surreal and we uh, just have to deal with it. And then we have a flashback to the wedding. We see Lisi's wet face looking up out of the pool and then we see her talking to Amanda and this is the most coherent that we have seen the Joan Allen ca- character, her sister mm-hmm. Amanda. B, uh, she says that uh, Good Ma, who I at that point had thought was their grandmother, but later we find out is their, the what they refer to as their mother. Mm-hmm. So I assume that that's a thing that was born out of the littlest one not being able to say something. Right. That's what that sounds like to me. Um, and says, um, you know, she thinks that he'll never um, amount to anything and that she'll, that Lisi will be supporting uh, him her entire life and he's not good enough for her but their dad the uh, illustrious Peter Scolari as we saw last week says that um, if she loves him then you know he's going to be good with that and then says does, uh, did Scott does, did Scott tell you that he's also that he's a cutter too mm-hmm. and it is unclear to me if Amanda is saying too as in addition to you and I or just I. Okay. We know Amanda has this problem, and we've seen Lisi do some um, self-destructive things, but we don't know how long that is, or whether that's a linking to Scott, or mm. whether that's a pathology that's been with her or life. We don't know that yet. Um, oh, also, the, her parents don't just think he's useless, but also think he's weird. So that's fun. Now, well, he's a writer. You're supposed to be useless and weird. And weird. That's that. Those are the two things you need to be. Yes. I, I want to keep this in mind. This is way. what we keep hearing that Lisi is going to have to support this bum for the rest of her life. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's the first. That's the issue that she has with her family upon entering this relationship. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to They're that. Very supportive. Um, then we see Amanda on the bench in the hospital, but it's clear that she is not on a bench in the hospital. She's holding a bottle of water, which like sort of tips over in her hand and pours onto the floor. And then we see her in an amphitheater, at the, uh, an amphitheater on a beach. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. There's a big body of water in front of her mm-hmm. and a, 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 like a, like a stream running down. And then there is these wooden, not wooden, like stone steps carved into the, the area around it is like an amphitheater where there's a bunch of people sitting that are in various states of um, cover from like lace to latex like there are various thicknesses of covers over these various people and she's there and she's looking out onto the water where she sees uh, like a pirate ship like a boat and it's called the hollyhocks and there are three girls dancing about on it and they're singing about how they're going to find boyfriends and gold (laughs) and then we see 
And then Darla comes and we see Darla in the present time with Amanda at the hospital, which is where her physical body is. Mm -hmm. And Darla comes and sits with her and she leans away and she says she wants to watch the Hollyhocks and she shushes Darla because the long boy could hear them. And then the people around her in the dark amphitheater have various levels of, oh, this is where I said, various levels of draping, lace to latex, and they all turn toward her as she says to Darla, I'm a double, that's why you can see me. We'll come back to that as well. Okay. Then we get uh, Lisi uh, looking through uh, Scott's address book uh, in Scott's office, and that's when she calls Dashmeal. So we've got another good scene. I, I like these scenes with Ron Cephas Jones in this, in this mm-hmm. episode. And uh, he, she says, you need to tell your man, you need to call your man off. He's threatened me and it's bullshit and I'm going to call the police. And Dashmill says, oh, I met him in a bar and he just said that he could persuade you, but I told him no violence. And she's like, mm, do you think having to tell him no violence might have been a fucking symbol sign that maybe... Right. There was going to be a problem, and also, I don't think he fucking heard you. So you need to. I, I need to know immediately either. that no, he. I, well, we don't know. Right. I mean, I did. We actually don't know from the way that from the moved. flashback that we see. Right. It doesn't seem that he did say that, but I don't think he knew the depth of Jim Dooley's. Uh, I don't like to use the word crazy. Well, especially with this story, because here. everyone seems to be some degree Slightly, damaged. Uh, left of center. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I'm going to the police if I don't hear confirmation from you that he's not, you know, he's being called off. And then we get another flashback, but it's Dashmeal's flashback. They are in a bar. Uh, I go out walking. That song. After midnight. midnight. Yes. That's playing on the jukebox. And Jim comes in and sits and says, are you the professor? And Dashmeal says, yes. And he says, oh, you have that same smart face that I saw you. Oh, you have a smart face. And then uh, he's offered some fried chicken, at which at which point Jim Dooley, nonplussed by anything, says, white meat, it's the undisputed best. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no, like, oh, white meat. He says, white meat. <laughs> Dashmail offers him some chicken. A black man offers yeah. a white kid some chicken, and that kid says, white meat. And Dashmill says, excuse me? And he goes, it's the best. It's uncontentious. Non-contentious. Not even uncontentious. Non-contentious. Uh, Which I would argue, there's no such thing as a non-contentious opinion. <laughs> I just don't understand how it's non-contentious with, what, the rest of the chicken's body? Well, yeah, I guess they're saying, don't give me a leg or a thigh, even though he's deeply wrong, y'all. So The thigh's the best part of the well, chicken. The thigh's the juiciest part. I don't mm-hmm. like the wings. The wings, I have to struggle to find food. I, I don't Oh, like I them. enjoy wings once mm. they've been prepared. I don't want... Like, if I roast the chicken, I don't want the ri- wings. But will I go to Wingstop? Absolutely. Mm. Oh, but I do want to try the thigh stop situation. Anyway. Uh, he... Uh, he says that pork is the other white meat, but I don't eat pork because it's too much like human flesh. I read that somewhere, and I'm like, what has happened? Uh, Dashmill looks at him a little, like, sort of warily, but also like, uh, like he's studying him. Right. And he's can like, can he be useful? Well, How the thing is, he's purposes? there. Well, but the thing is, he's there to be interviewed for Dashmill's book. He's already. He says, "Can I record it?" Um, Dooley says a quote from one of Scott's books that everything's being recorded, which mm-hmm. I guess is a, a scent. And uh, Dashmill pops out his recorder and he says, you know, I've seen you on the chat boards and the and the message boards and things and what you have to say about Scott Landon's work is incredibly insightful. We don't know what he says about Scott Landon's work. We haven't gotten that yet. And I wanted to interview you to see about, uh, for my new book, or for, for my upcoming book, um, to get a feel of what, uh, how Scott Landon uh, affected, and then he says, I hope you'll forgive this, the common man. And I'm like, this motherfucker is not common, but sure. Uh, and Julie asks, at that point, is it true that there's unpublished works? And Dashmore says, yes. Um, 
and then we don't see any kind of decision between them. We heard a little from the last mm. one, but we don't see any solidification here. And then Julie asks, you got a wife? Um, to which Dashmill says, I do. And Julie responds, be careful. This is not the first person that he asks us about. Uh, it's a little upsetting. We've got another, we've got a third, our, our third incel, mm. our third incel in as many fucking shows. Like, oh God. Well, it's actually a type now. It's something that we deal with in the everyday world. Yeah, so I'm I guess sure that's right. Appearance at some I guess point. that's right. And I do believe that, judging from his body of work, uh, Stephen King was aware of this type of person. Yeah, for a very long for time, a long time because you see him popping up in, yeah. you know, in various disguises in various places in the King work. That's true. Um, before I should say before this flashback uh, Dashmail picks up his phone to call the number he has for Dooley but it is disconnected um, then we see a scene between Darla that's Jennifer Jason Lee and Amanda's doctor uh, clarifying well I know what the Hollyhocks is the Hollyhocks is the ship that we mm-hmm. pretended that we were on when we were kids yeah. it set sail from the big elm tree in our backyard and we were looking for pirates and gold I'm like pirates it's not what she said, but okay. to be fair, maybe they wanted boyfriend pirates. Well, I think that's what it was, but yeah. I like how it, it gave me the impression that Darla, yeah, is trying to have a more mature and jaundiced eye about her own childhood, or she was the youngest and was looking for pirates, while the older ones were looking for boyfriends. Because frankly, boys are gross for a certain chunk of time, and sometimes boys are gross, forever. Period. Forever. Forever. <laughs> uh, and so then they, but she says, I don't know what the long boy is. And the doctor is prodding her about, well, they, you, Amanda and Scott were close. Mm-hmm. Um, did he talk to her about her childhood? Darla sort of pushes back and says, no, he only really ever talked to Lisey about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, he was close to Amanda, sure, but not as close as that he was Elise, yeah. which, duh, that's who he married, so of course he's going to be closer to her. Yeah, there's some redundancies in the dialogue in this episode where you're like, okay, well, thank you for making that obvious point, sir. And then he keeps pushing about the long boy and Scott's childhood, and Darla's just flat out just says, I don't want to talk about Scott, which I really like, because mm. you know that her life has been overwhelmed by right. people are like, oh, you know him? I want to know everything about him. And then yeah. you stop being a person other than a conduit to this famous That's kind person. That's kind of what I watched it. It's a, it. It was really well played. It was played. an accurate reflection yeah. of being in the periphery of a famous person. Which is hilarious, because that iration, or ire, is played by... A famous person. Right. There are people in Jennifer Jason Lee's life that have had this right. thing. I don't want to talk about her. <laughs> like, the same you know way I mean? is growing up you, that she never wanted to talk about her father. Fair. And, yes. Uh, and who is her father? Uh, her father is, is uh, Vic Morrow. Okay. The actor who was famous, first of all, for being a big television celebrity. Okay. And then very famous for being killed, making the film The Twilight Zone. Oh, right. But she was an emancipated minor, so there was some sort of... Something at our Real contention, yeah. contention in the relationship, and she just never talks about it. Doesn't talk about him. Which is yeah. strange, so I think that she also understands on some level... Unders- yeah. My so, dad's on TV every week, I don't want to talk about him. I don't want to talk about him. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, it, was really, it was really well done, that right. you just see it in her face, and she's not a bitch about it. But she is firm about it. She's like, look, I'm here to talk. I am a human being here to talk to you about another human being who is not Scott Landon. I'm talking to about my sister. Do I keep saying Landon? Langdon. 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 I'm just Langdon. Every time. Langdon. Langdon. No, it's because I'm tired. And because I only have Scott written in my notes. Okay. What a horrible name. We see an interesting scene of Amanda walking the ground. She's walking towards the camera. Mm -hmm. And she's like leaning forward like she's heading towards something mm-hmm. and her hand is like grasping next down next to her side. Mm. We don't see what she's seeing. We just see her walk sort of walking sort of it looks bli- like blindly um through the grounds of the hospital. All right. Then we see a there's a weird cut to Dooley. He's in a dark room, which I assume is his where he lives. Uh, I said a dark room with many soups because <laughs> he's standing in front of a microwave. Like 
microwaving something. But next to the microwave, there's like all these cans of soups and like mm-hmm. instant macaroni and cheese and stuff. Right. And then we see this really weird image of him through a camera that he's playing with and like putting up to his face. And he says something like, hello campers or something like that. And you can see as he's sitting on his couch, there is a like life-size Scott Langdon cut out, mm-hmm. like a cardboard cut out, like a standee at like a book signing or something uh, uh, behind him on the, on the, in his kitchen or whatever. Yeah. And we see Lisey in the office and she takes a picture off the wall we see that there's something stuck to the back of the photo, but sh- or to the back of this picture, but she doesn't see it yet. She'll, she'll see it before the end of the scene. This is a long scene. This is a long flashback scene. Um, so we see that there's something there, and um, then we see the flashback, and we're flashing back to before they were married. She unlocks this apartment door on this weird, like, very um, uh, graded street, very mm. steep, angled street, number 58, um, and I had thought she was unlocking... I got confused because I thought this was both her work and her home because this apartment on the back wall has just a whole wall, like in the kitchen dining room area, right. of those glass bricks. That doesn't seem to me a thing that you would make a a wall of an apartment out of. You could, It's just like this sheer wall. Okay. It's so weird. And I, I have like, seen that, and it's... To me, I think it goes. It must go into a courtyard on the other side some, or something I've like seen that. It done that way, it's very dated. I've seen yeah. like really old kitchens. Not really. This old. that's the thing. This kitchen and, bathrooms mm, have it a lot. Yeah, um, as a as a wall or a feature. But this whole back wall of this apartment was these glass bricks, yeah. and so I thought it was a restaurant. I thought she like worked above the back room of a restaurant, mm-hmm. and that's what I was seeing. And then today I was like, no, no, that's just their kitchen and dining room that just has a whole glass wall, which, no thank you. Yeah. (laughs) That seems like a nightmare. Um, And she checks her voicemail, and Scott is on the voicemail, and he's very excited because he sold the coaster's daughter for $250, and he's taking her out to dinner, not pizza, not burgers. Get dressed nice. We're getting. We're going out. Uh, You've noted a problem with these flashbacks. Yeah. Oh, um, so it's still Julianne Moore and Clive Owen Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the ages that they are when they are uh, um, you know filming this. So in 2020 Mm -hmm. or 2021, even I'm not sure when they finished filming. I don't know how long post production was, but and uh, the way that we know they're younger is. Their hair is longer. Well, they That's all. Have, their hair is longer. <laughs> they're not doing any kind of makeup. Well, they they're not. Do... They're not even doing that weird fuzzing, like right. putting an Instagram filter on you so you just look smoother. Nope. What? I think part of it is that Julianne Moore has yeah. had a shitty life, right. and we get into that a little bit here, where she's already a little bit haggard but at twenty looks like or whatever. They colored his eyebrows and just blackened his hair and it's not convincing because it's setting his skin tones off. Yeah. Because he does not look... Well, his eyebrows are already like a whole situation just on his regular face. He's got a... He's not a Peter Gallagher but he's not not a Peter Mm. Gallagher. You know what I'm saying? No, but I'll I'll follow you there. You know who Peter Gallagher is. Oh yes, the eyebrows. The eyebrows. So, Clive Owen isn't there Mm -hmm. but he's not far. Okay. He could get there. So we see her dress for the day, and through this whole thing, we're getting flashbacks to, we're in the flashback, but then we're getting shots of Julianne Moore today holding the picture, short hair, big sweater, the Mm -hmm. whole nine. And then there's a flashback of another character inside of this flashback, y'all, it's a lot. Um, so uh, she's dressed for the date. She's getting ready. Mm-hmm. She's pull out some wine. She's opening the wine, and Darla calls her. Well, the phone rings, and she says, "Scott, are you almost here?" And Darla's like, "It's not. It's your sister." It's Darla. And uh, she's like, "Oh, well, we're gonna go out for dinner." Um, they bought his book they, for twenty five hundred dollars, and she's like, "He says it's not that much, but it's more than I make in three and a half months, which is a weird thing to say. Three months is fine. Three and mm-hmm. a half months is a weird thing to say." And Darla says instantly, oh, they must not think it's going to sell very well. Which is yeah, both true and fucked up. 
<laughs> um, and then Darla's like, so you missed Amanda's birthday. And uh, Lisi says, I know my car's a piece of shit. I didn't trust it to get that far. And Darla's like, well, could you at least send her a belated birthday card? And Lisi's like, she's not 10. We've talked. Yeah. And then Darla makes this, it's all about you. You're so wrapped up with this boyfriend. You know, you're, you've got a family. And Lisi's like, uh, I ha- gave up a scholarship to take care of our mother or to take, she says to take care of good ma, right. at which point Darla busts in with partial scholarship. And I did my part to take care of our mother. So that's how we know it's right. the mother. I, I like this dynamic though, where it's just sniping. Yeah. Really? Yes. And then Lisi is like, you know what? Uh, I think Scott's here. I gotta go. Like she's just, mm-hmm. she's done, but Scott's not there. And Scott continues to not be there. And Scott doesn't show up for hours. And when he does show up, he's drunk. He says, you know, I was I I was leaving the English department and this guy I told him the news and then he, you know, strong armed me into getting a couple of drinks and she's like a couple and he's like like four or five. And then he goes and he bites his nail and she nails and she yells at him like a child. I hated this. Well the, uh, now this was interesting to see because it, it, when I looked at it. The scene get, is wild, y'all. It, it, <laughs> it's like there's two people with different damaged issues. Yes. And they keep escalating each other. And yes. The comparison, what does she compare it to? A rat? She says, stop it. You, I hate when you do that. You look like a rat chewing a piece of cheese. And then she says, I don't need a creative drunk in my life because right. I have enough problems as it, as it is. And, she, and then he responds, wait two minutes and I can fix this. And... Right before he says that, though, she she very calmly, she's like, look, wash up, sleep on the couch. I'm just mad. Like, I'm yeah. mad. Like, you said that this was going to happen. And then I waited. He's like, did you eat? And she's like, no, because I was waiting for you. And yeah. then you went and celebrated with somebody I don't even know. Right. And I'm mad, and I and get to be mad about it. She has a right to be angry. I and think, I don't, yeah. I, I don't like the rat chewing cheese thing. That feels scolding in a way that feels like you don't don't scold your significant right. other like a child. And she does apologize for it later, actually. But um, but I don't. I think her reaction is actually fine. I think you could, you're allowed to say, "Look, you hurt yeah. me, and I'm upset, and I'm going to be upset for a little while. And when we wake up tomorrow, I'll be fine." But Scott can't wait till for tomorrow. He so he says. Um, two minutes and I can fix this and he walks out the door and he walks down the street and she ends up following him and then we have a flashback that he has. Was it a flashback? A flashback of his memory mm-hmm. inside of a flashback of her memory and I don't know how anybody knows that this is mm-hmm. what is happening. Okay. So that is like a narrative issue for me. Because we are inside of Lisey's brain, so we should not be seeing right. this. Exactly. That's fine. So he looks into a shop window, and what I think what it ends up being is um, a laundromat. And he sees his face, and then he then the flashback begins. And he begins punching a window. And the flashback is him and an older boy, um, who I presume is Paul, a blonde boy sitting at a table. It looks like they're eating a meal. Their father is in the living room uh, with his back to them watching something, some evangelical um, preacher on the television. And then the thing begins to sort of change. And so it starts with, you know, you're just like your mom, go off to Booyah Moon, which is where he had said he went before, like we've Mm. heard that before or whatever it is, but I don't understand, and I've never wanted this, and this, that, and the other. And then we see Scott has punched a hole in the glass and is working his wrist along the broken glass. And we see, back in the flashback, his father is carving his own wrist with a, like a pocket knife, yeah. and saying he loves him, he loves his kids, He lo- like he's telling his so kids So this is something him. he's... Um... It seems like he is... Conditioned to... No, it seems like he is... What he is actively trying to do is literally change the past. Through use of his ability to... Blood magic? Some sort of blood magic. Um, And 
Lisi finds him, screams at him to stop, and he does. And then Scott's like, I fixed it. It's okay now. Um, he says, it's for you to say I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sorry he forgot, and it won't happen again, that this is a blood bull. They're special, mostly for letting out the bad, but also for saying sorry. And if she accepts it, then the sorry is done, and she's like... Uh, I accept it. I don't know what the fuck you're talking right. about, but this is while they're back at the ha- apartment. She's like, we need to go to the emergency room. She's cleaning. They're cleaning out the wounds. And he's. she's like, if you're worried about what they'll say, make up a story. That's what you do. And he's like, no, no, no. I don't need, I don't need to go because the bleeding's almost stopped and the Langdons are fast healers. They had to be, which is an ominous ass right. sentence. And then you should have seen Paul. And she says, oh, Paul, is that your brother? Um, can I meet him? And she, he's like, no, he's dead. He's been dead for a long time. Then they're laying in bed together. And then Scott goes back and, like, really gets into those wounds. And she's like, stop it. And he goes, no, no, I have to make sure they're clean. right? Mm-hmm. And then they're laying in bed. And Scott says they're hard memories. And she says, are you crazy? Am I living with a crazy person? And then he goes, we should get married. I mean, not in so many words, but it was only two or three more sentences. And then she's like, but it's possible, you know, I love you, you love me, but it's possible love isn't enough. And he's like, well, I think it is because nobody's loved me since Paul. And her concern is he's going to get famous and not want her anymore. Mm. And then she wakes up to water running in the bathroom, and he's not in bed. And she knocks on the door and says, hey, I need to get in there. There's no response, and she opens the door up, and the sink is full of water, and he's not there. Mm. And she's looking around, and she's looking around, and she calls, she goes, and she calls for him without turning off the sink. I was like, turn off the sink. It's about yeah, to overflow. <laughs> um, and then she goes back. She turns off the sink. I guess she does her business order when she goes back to the bedroom, and he's there again. Or it's when she turns off the water. So he, he momentarily disappeared. Yes. And, um, oh, not just, and then we see him in the same amphitheater walking down the stream that's mm-hmm. next to where Amanda sits and getting all the way into the water and rinsing his arm. Mm-hmm. And then she goes back to bed and he's there again. He says, hey, where'd you go? She says, hey, where'd you go? And he pretends to be sleeping. But then when she, like, lays down, he opens his eyes so we know that he opens. Then she wakes up to bacon and eggs and agrees to marry him. And he's almost completely healed. And the photo that she was looking at from the wall, so then we come back to the now, is from that day. So we also see the the second day because Mm -hmm. then he brings the check to where she's working. So she's got her little hostess badge right. on, says Lisa. And they take a picture of it that day. And then that morning, though, she says, hey, he says, hey, you want to get married? And she says, okay. Uh, she says, he says, what do you think, baby love? And she says, baby love thinks it's a plan. So that's how they're going to decide to get married. So cute. So she flips that picture over, and I'm mm. not sure why, what causes her. Like, I don't know if I take a thing off the wall, I flip she it over. She seems to be actively looking for clues, too. So that, that could be, but she's gone through this whole, well, I don't know how long it took her to remember this whole flashback yeah. in a flashback inside of somebody else's flashback. But when she gets done with all of the remembrance, she flips over the thing, and she sees, and it's a, I thought it was a photograph, but it's not. It's an advertisement, like, clipped out of a magazine, mm-hmm. and just the word doctor is circled, and then mm-hmm. it says third clue. So she uh, reaches out to the only doctor in her life for the last week, which is the doctor that has taken Amanda in, yeah. uh, and calls him because she recalls that Scott had, you know, obviously set this whole thing up for Amanda, but also had gone there to sign this, or and well, he was there, signed this mm. doctor's books because he is a fan. And so she calls him and she says, hey, um, well, he starts, it's weird. The way that this conversation is, is very strange because it's like, well, clearly he doesn't answer his own phone, right? He's got some sort yeah. of staff who, who's, so he just picks up the phone. And he's like, hey, Lisa, Lisa, Amanda's doing really well, but it would be great for you come see her like she doesn't get to talk like she right. doesn't get to say hi he just is like blah, 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 blah. 
And she's like, I'm going to come in. Then I'm coming tomorrow, she says. So that's a key thing. Because that comes up later, too. Um, but when Scott was there to sign your... Did you did I remember correctly that Scott signed your books? Signed some of your books? And he says, yes. And she says, do you have a favorite? And then he says, yes, it's this one. And then he starts to tell her why. I think he... You, you didn't like that he says, I've always been partial to stories of love or whatever. <laughs> it seemed like such a kind of a... That's a weird way to phrase that, yeah. yeah. And she cuts him off. She's like, I do not give a fuck. Can you look at that book? Because I think you left me a clue. Because it's all about Lisey. No, I don't really believe that. Right. Darla will. But um, I don't. Uh, but that's not so, what she's there for. She's yes, not there to uh, right. chit-chat. And so he's like, okay. And he goes and he picks it up and he flips through it. No notes in the pages. But then he looks under the dust jacket and there is a note in there. It looks like maybe a sticky. Mm-hmm. And it says, Cedar Box, fourth clue, Bool, to which he says, huh, this is really remarkable, but your husband, he was a remarkable man, and he's about to go and mansplain this woman's husband to her, and she's mm-hmm. like, I'll see you tomorrow, Doc, click. <laughs> she just does not. There's no room <laughs> she's for it. not into it. And then, um, oh, but she does say he's, he's pushing me, even from beyond the grave, he's pushing mm-hmm. me, and when she hangs up, she's like, stop pushing me, Scott. He's not gonna, though. No, or else we wouldn't have a story. Yeah. And such wonderfully crafted puppets. That's right. Those puppets are so fucking gorgeous. I wish they weren't nude, though. I like closed puppets. No. Um, let me see Dooley. He's mm-hmm. pulling up to the crooked apartment that we saw, the one on the big steep street. Meanwhile, not in flashback. Right, this is current. And he stands in front of it, apparently in the street. It doesn't even look like he's on the sidewalk, staring at it while eating peanuts. And the the, the resident, current resident, comes, opens the door and comes out onto the porch. And I'm like, why would you do that? He's also an older man. He's probably in his 40s, maybe early 50s. He's an Indian. He looks like an Indian American mm. man. Nice beard. Well dressed. Mm. And, uh,. He's like, and Dooley is like challenging him. You, you know, you, do you know you live in Scotland, Langdon's old house? And he's like, who's that? Like the greatest writer ever or whatever. Although he doesn't say it with any zest or verve. He is, right. he speaks like a man who's on a large dosage of Thorazine. He is, he's got intensity, but no... There's no uh, emotional content to what he's yeah. doing. There's no... Um, he's also the most pallid. He's not the pallidest. physically present, really, almost. Like, he's... No, he's things. physically present. He doesn't seem... I, no, I mean, in my opinion. Mentally I, present. I just feel like he's not... Almost like he's projecting from somewhere else. Mm, that's an interesting take. I don't see that, but... Uh, the dude says, you know, I don't read books, I watch TV. Mm. Which Julie refers to as the great electronic tit. Uh, and then he asks, you got a wife? And the dude looks nervous and mm-hmm. says no, and I'm not convinced that the answer is no, just that he doesn't really need this yeah. dude to know that there's a woman anywhere no, near here. Business. And uh, Dooley says, good, no wife, stay single. And then he uh, fucks right off after telling him he needs to go to the library and learn about Scott Langdon and watch less TV. Or go heat up a TV dinner. I don't know, it's mm. very weird. He says, like, I can see the TV lights coming from your eyes, and when you open your mouth, I can see the TV light coming through your teeth. And I'm like, what are you saying? Makes perfect sense to him. Then we see a truck with main plates pulling up to what appears to be the Langdon, current Langdon property. Mm. Uh, And Dooley is in that truck, and he's got a pizza cutter. And with that pizza cutter... He cuts a whole cheese pizza in a box. I don't know how he got a whole cheese pizza in a box. When I worked in a pizza place, you did not put the pizza in the box until it was cut into pieces already. I I don't understand, I don't understand this scene then. or this. I don't understand it. But he cuts himself like a quarter of the pizza and, is, and starts chomping on this cheese pizza, which actually looks really good. I think I might have been hungry at the time. As he looks at the house. And then we see Lisi, and she is at the police station because she has heard nothing from Dashmill indicating the fact that he has called anybody off. Right. And she meets with the sheriff. I believe it is the sheriff. And 
The sheriff says, you know, Dashmail tried to reach out, but the phone number that he has has been disconnected. Um, and at to which point, at, at which point, Lisi says, mm, my husband would refer to that as an ominous plot twist. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, so early in this, in the series for an ominous plot twist. And then uh, they also say, you know, he was answering emails up until like this morning and isn't doing that anymore now. And she's like, fucking great. And the cops say that we're going to send out hourly patrols to just, just, just sweep. They know that he drives a Tennessee uh, Toyota sedan or mm. Toyota sedan with Tennessee plates, which uh, no, he does not anymore. He drives a truck with main plates. <laughs> so... I know, because I actually wrote it down. I'm like, that's a truck with main plates. And I didn't even realize that we were going to get a car description in the next mm-hmm. scene. I just was like, I feel like this is important. I was right. Good job. Um, and she's like, I think that's overkill. But they're like, no, this town like loves you. Like You guys have done so much for us. This is literally the least we can do, and mm. he may not be dangerous. Most of them aren't, but every once in a while, like we don't want to. Well, yeah, it. she's also a woman who saw her husband get shot. Well, that's the thing. He yeah. says, "Do you have a firearm?" And she says, uh, "I hate guns." We don't revisit that at this mm. point. I hate guns, but I have something that worked before, which is the shovel. It's the shovel, guys. It's the shovel that she opened a dude's face with in the first episode. That shovel. Uh, and then the sheriff asks if her doors are locked. And she answers yes in such a way to indicate that she definitely didn't lock all those doors. And so uh, then we see her. Oh, then we see Dooley. He's prowling the grounds. He's walking around the pool. Yeah, he's walking around her house, right? Checking out the office. Yeah, he's at the house. He's at the LinkedIn house where he's been. And um, he gets into the house through the kitchen. It doesn't look like the door was even locked. Uh, and he microwaves something that makes a bunch of noise. We don't know then what it is on first watch. It Mm. is confusing. You're like, what is happening right now? And then he goes into her fridge, and that's the last we see of him. Okay. Then Lisi returns home. She goes to check her mail, and her hand comes out of the mailbox covered in blood. So she goes to the house. She opens the door. On the on the door to the house in the glass is an envelope with a we presume a letter in it. We'll get to that in a minute. And all that's written on the envelope is Mrs. M S M R S period. And she puts that in her pocket. She opens the door, thinks better of it, goes to the office which was locked, gets the shovel, mm. and then goes back and I guess clears the house. The house is clear. There's nobody in the house. She just has her shovel. And she takes some tongs out to the mailbox where she extracts a corvid. It's a whole blackbird. It's a raven. It's a crow. I don't know the difference. I can't tell. It's one of those two. It's the one she was swimming with in the morning. This seemed pretty big. Couldn't tell you what it was. Probably was a crow. That he has microwaved. And uh, that is the weird sound that we heard when he was in her kitchen microwaving something. And then she has the best exclamation of any character in anything ever. Do you remember what it was? Mm. I was going to give it to you this time since I just told you. Oh, fucking fuckwad fuck, is what she says. And then the cops come out, and my notes say, we hear the letter read by Pepperidge Farms because we shall remind you that this is a Stephen King story about an author, so some it takes place in Maine. Right. And so the people who live in Maine, not Lisi or Scott, or Dashmail, I don't know where Dashmail lives, he may not live in Maine. None of them sound like Maine. But the locals sound like Maine, and the sheriff sounds like Maine. And I got mad when I start- this scene started the first time I read it, because I didn't like the tone he was taking, because I thought he was just right. talking to Lisi. And then I realized he was He's reading really this letter, which is basically like, uh, it was rude and uncalled for for you to yell at me on the phone, and I'm gonna get these fucking things from you. Mm. Or, uh, oh, uh, what does he say? Hold on. Everything deserves to be hurt sometimes. Maybe it was that time, it was time for that bird to be hurt. And later he says, you're a bad woman, and I'd like to put you with the microwave, which is a wild thing to say. Um, and at that point, 
the cops are like, you should stay somewhere else right now because this guy has been in your home. She had put the the bird in the freezer and they say that was a good idea. It was smart. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks like it was choked. And then it looks like, yes. And it looked, but it saves the thing. And it smells like it was cooked, right? Right. And that's when I was like, ooh, that's what was in the microwave. Ew. And the bird's last words were, but this is murder. Murder. It's a crow. It's a crow. But what if it's a raven? It's also an unkindness. (laughs) It's both of those things. (laughs) So she's like, I'm not going to leave. Darla comes out. And it's also like, yeah, you should go. You should. It's not mm. very expensive. Or like, there's a nice hotel out where Amanda is, and then you could be closer to her. This is. It's crazy for you to stay out here it's by yourself. Not a good idea. The cops are like, well, we'll 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 put somebody out here every night until this dude's caught. Mm. And once again, they revisit the issue of the firearm. To which Darla says, "Oh, Amanda has a gun." And Lizzie's like, what? And Darla's like, yeah, she's got a little twenty-two. She's had it for years. And Lizzie's like, our suicidal sister has a gun and you never told me about it? Which Darla is offended by because this shows how Lizzie knows everything and, and really got to know everything once she got rich. And I'm like, bitch, you were worried she would be poor forever and now you're mad she's rich. This bitch can't win. She just needs to find a... Re- uh, she's going to be upset no matter She's what. upset. She is upset. And... uh and she's like, I'm not going to use a gun. She, she looks at the cop dead in the face and was like, have you ever had to kill somebody or ever had to shoot somebody or seen somebody shot? Mm-hmm. And of course, this tiny town in Maine, right. this sheriff is like, fortunately, no. And he, she's like, well, I have. And that's why I'm not going to get a fucking gun. Well, I was looking at Oakland, <laughs> we're like, yesterday at the bus stop. But also like, okay, you don't have to carry a gun. But you should probably get, I don't know, a security guard. Once again, we I said this last episode. Yes, you did. There are people whose services you can pr- purchase who will just be outside your home with a weapon to stop someone from coming in and microwaving you. Although, I dare you to try and fit me in a microwave. No. Bring it. <laughs> I um, just, uh, yeah, it, it's... It, I'm glad that she took intelligent steps, that she goes to the police, that she talks to the person who threatened her. She's doing smart, logical things, but yes. staying by yourself in your home after it's been invaded. I understand. Is and not for, she she smart needs to thing. do two things. She needs to lock up those papers because that is the point of contention. Those need to be behind a lock and a key. Those need to be in a safe deposit box somewhere. I'm saying. Or mm-hmm. storage. A, a high, not not a fucking U-Haul storage place, but like a no, because that's where people put their bodies of their first victims, right? Well, or second. I think it was the second victim. It was the second that's victim. fine. <laughs> that is the Silence of the Lands reference, everyone. Um, but she needs to get those things locked up safely, mm-hmm. or you know, if you really don't want them going anywhere. Burn them. It's yeah. paper. I am not advocating burning the unpublished writings of a famous person. I'm not doing that. I'm not that. advocating. I wouldn't advocate. I'm not the, not advocating. The writings though. of an unfamous person. It depends. I think that. Um, Blast my cash. <laughs> Did we know my shit? He didn't want it published for reasons. Because God only knows everything that he wrote. It seems yeah. to have clues to her for her in them. Yeah, well, that's true. But yeah. I really do like the safe deposit box to me is the best yeah, idea. Yeah, no, lock that shit up and then mm. get either get yourself to a safe place or if you don't want to leave your home, hire somebody to be there all right. the time. It's not that complicated and you have the money because that's the next and thing. And she's is, not going to leave that home. Well, that's for a period of time. Yeah, I don't think forever. But what I mean is that she's not going to leave that home. She is stubborn, and she's going to dig her heels in there. Then she needs to right. get some help and back because get some backup. Because obviously, it's not even just uh, Jim Dooley; it's also Mister um, Dashmail. Dashmail, who shows up at her house. I think, though, Dashmail is off. I don't think mm-hmm. he wa- he from the distress that he shows trying to get a hold of Dooley and un- being unable to, I right. think he realizes that he loses a, a thing that he doesn't have any control yeah. or knowledge of. And to probably his death, because he, he, the other thing he knows is if Dooley does something to her, he's responsible. He is going to go to prison. Yeah. <laughs> like no question, no question. 
Uh, and now Not he's admitted as much right. to the to the sheriff by saying, I called him and I couldn't get a hold of him. I think that what also, the fact that he went through so much trouble to make himself appear as if he rescued Scott Langdon. That's still unclear to is, me. We still haven't seen that. Well, that's that. her point of view. That's her point said. of view, but we don't but know that. But the idea is that if he has pushed himself to a level of esteem in this small community, being the guy who got Langdon's wife killed is going to just... Well, I honestly, I right. think he'll care less about his public reputation when he's know. in prison. I, I'm not convinced that this guy <sighs> is all there either. I, like I said, I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think he doesn't understand what he has unleashed. I, I think he's a, an Oppenheimer pre-first mm. test. You know what I mean? Right. Like this will be fine. This is what I'm. You know. Just a weapon. It's not a big deal. Oh, shit. It's like the worst. And now we have Godzilla. Oops, what did we do? Yes. So then we've got a Darla and Lisey scene where she needles her about money. Like, go stay at this hotel. You can afford it. How much money do you have? And Lisey's just like, a lot. And then she asks about the cedar box. Lisey asks Darla, Mm -hmm. hey, does Amanda have Ma's, Ma's senior box? Cedar, 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 cedar box, because that was the clue, right? The cedar box, which apparently is good Ma's, which once again, I don't understand that name. And I, was that one of the things that Amanda took after the funeral? And uh, Darla's like, I don't know, maybe. And Lisi says, can you ask Amanda about it? And Darla's like, sure, I'm going to ask my catatonic suicidal sister about a cedar box for you tomorrow when I talk to her. And Lisey's like, could you just ask her? And Darla's like, are you going to show up? And Lisey's like, yes, can you just ask her? And I'm like, well, if you're going to be there, why don't you just ask her? It's it's very good sibling shit. It really is. is. It's very accurate feeling. Because then they get to a point where she says she'll be there. She says she'll ask. And then Darla leaves and is like, be careful. But she says it like, (laughs) like she's mad at her, right? Like, don't fucking die. I need you to not die. And then we have uh, the, the closing of this is Lisi is prowling the grounds at night. She's got the shovel in her hand. There's a thunderstorm. And she looks into the pool. And she see, sees like this. It looks, you know what it looks like is an orange, um, those paper lanterns that you release out mm-hmm. into the, like it's that shape, like a, like a big pill. You know what I mean? Or like it's the shape of like a like lozenge. a sleeping bag roll or something. Okay. Yeah, or like a lozenge. And it's under the water. And there's also like things moving under the water in the pool. And it looks like the same water as in the the weird amphitheater. Is that Booyah Moon? I don't know. Should we is that what we should call it? Maybe it's just a big carp. Um, because that thing is lit up like the moon in the place where Amanda and Scott have gone. That, which is this big orange full moon, which is over the the hollyhock when we see the hollyhock and just over the water generally. And it casts this weird light. Um, and then Amanda, we see her in her room, but she's clearly still trapped in the amphitheater. And she's scared and she doesn't want to be there. She says, I don't want to be. And she keeps repeating that. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I'm scared and I don't want to be here. And there's a girl in lace next to her that says, shh. You need to be quiet because I need to think about what I've done. I need to think about why I killed all of them. And I'm just like, what's happening? It means this is not a great vacation spot. And then we pull back. And Amanda is like front and center in this amphitheater around this water. And then there are other people sitting there. And several of them do have things over them. Like I said, like latex or lace. Some of them are by themselves, but some of them are in pairs, mm-hmm. which re- rem- reminds us of the doubles that Amanda was talking about. Okay. I'm a double. That's why you can see me. So maybe if she gets trapped in there too much, both of her will be there and she'll just disappear well, from the world entirely. I would imagine the double means there's, there's two people in two places. One is here with us and one is off in what is increasingly looking like Never Neverland. It does look like Neverland. It does have a real hook vibe to it, Mm -hmm. for sure, 100%. Um, (gasps) What? Bangarang? (laughs) Are we going to have a Bangarang? Maybe that's what... Yeah, anyways. And then... So, a lot of them are in doubles. 
but not all of them. Amanda isn't. And then Lisi, we see Lisi sort of shake her head at this image in the pool, and she says, uh, it's not real. And then she walks away. And pictures I'm just in the like, book. Pictures in a book. I've heard this one before. Yes, indeed. And that is the end of Blood Bowl, wherein you cut open your arm to maybe make your dad cut open his arm. It's unclear. It's unclear. It's unclear. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lost still right not now. sure what is happening. I, I feel it's almost irresponsible at times. To sort of have a, a fantasy element to all this cutting? I want to see where it's going. I don't have a problem with mm. it as a cutter, yeah. <laughs> as a person who has, done, who has taken part in uh, self-destructive behavior in the past. I am not being triggered by it. Mm. Um, I think it's actually being handled pretty well. It's, it, they're not making it romantic. No. But Even so, when Scott thinks he's being romantic, uh, because that is definitely what he thinks he's doing. It's not. It's horrific what is happening. Mm. Okay? Mm. No. I'm, so, yeah, so I don't, but I'm curious to see where it goes, and I cannot remember, and I'm still trying to debate whether or not to read this book again. Ooh. We'll see. Maybe? I don't know. I, I, it's, it seems like it's problematic, like a, a lot of Stephen King's things are. I think that he approaches them with the best of intentions, though. Uh, and, but we've discussed Duddits, we've discussed his uh, Mother Abigail, that he uses certain tropes which are increasingly becoming problematic. And I understand there is a blood element to ritual magic, certainly. So I guess, yes, yeah. I, I guess we'll see where it's going from here. I do want to say, too, about the book. Um, it did win the 2006 Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. Mm-hmm was nominated for a World Fantasy Award in 2007. Um, the, a, a, sh- uh, a short story entitled Lizzie and the Madman, an early version of this, was published in McSweeney's Enchanted Chamber of Astonishing Stories <laughs> and was nominated for the Bram Stoker Award for Best Long Fiction, so I guess that was a, a goodly chunk. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King says this is his favorite novel that he has ever written. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, this is his favorite of the novels he has written. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So that's where we're at. Next episode is what's it called? What's it called? What's it called? Under the Yum Yum Tree, which is a film. Is it with Jack Lemon? No. Oh. Should we watch that too? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, so that is next up. And until then, do you have anything you would like to recommend to our lovely listeners? Um, I have something to recommend to selected audiences. Selected. And I realize that my tastes are somewhat uh, eclectic. Wow. Uh, but um, we watched you, I. Oh, you are going to recommend roommate, it? I was curious if you would. Okay. Um, a film that dropped last Friday. Yep. Malignant. Malignant by James Wan. And I'm not going to discuss. We can't even say anything, anything about the film at all. It's a horror movie, <laughs> right? Um, it's that's also, what we're going to say. What I'll be willing to say is it's a giallo. Yeah. For those of you who know what that is, or not, say what it is. A giallo <laughs> is a, it's the Italian word for yellow, and it uh, refers to the yellow uh, paperbacks with yellow covers that used to have horrific scenes of crime and murder and etc. And it was a genre of film really, I wouldn't know if it's exactly started by Mario Bava, but he certainly laid the foundations for it with yeah. some of the films that he made. And um, went to Dario Argento. Dario Argento, and yeah. then there's Luigi Fulci, Luigi Fulci, I think, um, and Ricardo Freda and other people who did a lot in that. It sometimes goes to really wild and terrible extremes where it's like, I don't ever want to see a movie again. I just want to wash my face compulsively for half an hour. And then sometimes there are really good films, including some that straddle the line. The original Suspiria is a very difficult film to watch at times. Yes. But it is it is physically beautiful. I showed the trailer to a coworker today and she was just like I prefer the second the uh, the remake to the original, also a Giallo. Also I would argue that an American Giallo, like if you're mm-hmm. wondering what we're talking about. The Final Destination movies, especially the first two, right. are very much like a giallo, where it's like, right. you're not just going to die. You're going to die, gonna die really like horrible. a lot. Like a lot of... Di- you're going to die like a, like a whole bunch. Yeah. Like the, you're going to fall into a pit of razor wire 
and then your head's going to get chopped off because of something else, and also a dog will probably eat part of you. Well, there's a... Yeah, and that, that's... It's a lot. It's that's a lot. kind of one of the characteristics is that there'll be a murder mystery where the murders are absolutely over-the-top spectacular, um, and the actual mystery isn't as interesting as the actual murders, which was a big element of, like, Dario Argento's work, like uh, Deep Red and Tenebre and things like that. But this film has a lot of the same elements, but what I did appreciate about it is it's separate from the male gaze, which is a big part of the old-school giallo was a lot of female nudity and a lot of weird sexual dynamics, and that's not present in this one. Um, which I really like, because that's always something that ages really poorly, and you want to recommend a film to somebody, but oh, no, 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 you know. It starts with five women sunbathing and talking about, you know, what they like about men. This is obviously right. uh, not made for a modern audience, but um, really, the film is... it. It a lot. Borrows, uh, yeah, like in the first five <laughs> minutes, I was going, why the hell is it so it's over the top? It's a lot. It's over the top. It, it lets you and know right away that we're going to be doing right. some things right off the bat, here. It's going to go way over the top. There's references to some of the Shaw Brothers kung fu movies. Yeah. And that's a scene that I won't describe, but it's really spectacularly done. Like, good on you. That was amazing to watch. So, but again, it's two audiences who are not frightened. And I'm guessing since we're doing a Stephen King podcast right now, right. essentially, I don't really have to warn people so much about the gore. Yeah, you also have to keep in mind, let's let's talk about too, that this is a James Wan film. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to argue that largely due to the um, release of Malignant, there was an article that came out, I think, last week or the week before that indicated that James Wan had directed the scariest movie of all time. Now, They did a study with, like, 35 people, and they showed them, like, 14 movies or something like that, or 30 movies or something, and they recorded their heart rates and stuff. So it was the scariest movie based on heart rate of the films that they were shown. So let's be real specific. It's not of all time, but Uh that movie was sinister. That movie is very fucking scary. And it feels of a piece with this one. Like, not, not, not similar in themes, really. Not similar in... Uh, even the way that it looks or what happens in it, mm. but he amps his shit up to an 11. Right. And this movie is also amped up to well, an 11. Well, also, the opening scene of Sinister is so heinous that it's letting you know if you're going to continue, this is this is as bad as it's going to get, and it's going, well, not quite. It's going to get pretty bad. And I think the same thing happened with the credits in this film, where we were looking at each other, going, "Why are the credits so gory?" Oh, yeah. because so so James you know Wan James Wan is an Australian filmmaker, and he is known best probably for making the first Saw movie with mm-hmm. Lee Wanell. And it was largely he largely made that movie with Lee because nobody would hire them to be in the movies mm-hmm. or to direct movies. So they're like, "Fine, fuck you, we're going to make our own." And I would argue that the first Saw movie is a very good movie, especially under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. It, that franchise goes real far off the rails, and I had to stop watching them because I don't love torture porn. But then he also did Dead Silence, Insidious, The Conjuring, Insidious Two, The Conjuring Two, and then this now, right? Oh. Yeah, and, and let me, because I, I spoke to one of my coworkers and I was, who I loves... he didn't do, I thought he directed, did he not direct? I thought he directed um, Sinister. I did he he just might have produced Sinister. Produced, I know he produced it, yeah, yeah. Um, in speaking to one of our, our friends, our work friends, uh, I said, don't go, let anybody tell you anything about the film going into it. No. Because half the fun of it is not knowing what on earth yeah. is going on. And, and... Be open-minded to have fun with a horror movie. Right. And this is... And this, this is, is very much a genre friend. movie that is made to be fun. It's not... It's not like The Conjuring where he's trying to work with real people in the real world. This nope. is a wild ride. This is, wild. This is a wild ride. And yeah. I appreciate it for being a wild ride. Uh, compare it more to... The, the, you know what he's directing right now? Mm. The new Aquaman movie. It's... Fantastical, right? Like, that yeah. is what a well, large part of this... this also, film, uh, he's making a horror movie, and he's pushing it as far as he can, I, I would argue. It's very much like um, a much gorier version of something like Drag Me to Hell, where it's just wild and goofy and weird things happen for the sake of weird things happening. Yes. The dialogue. Mm-hmm. 
It's not very yes, good. Yes, but that, that, like I said, <laughs> it it's fitting with a jello because those it, okay, original films it's that, okay. were shot in Italian and yeah, then released so. in English. We were just so, like, like people those say these, words don't make any sense right, together. They, they say these abrupt, weird sentences to each other that don't make any sense. And it's like, in Italian, it makes much more sense than it does in English. And they're trying to match the lip movements. And so, yeah, people blurt out nonsensical things all the time. So I think that was kind of perfect. But anyhow, that's my recommendation. What was yours? I don't have one. Because oh, I still am in a deep spiral of only listening to Heathen Bosoms. I haven't listened to another podcast Bosoms. since almost mm. three months, or almost two months. Yeah. I will say, I did enjoy Malignant. Um, I'm looking forward to watching Kate, mm-hmm. uh, but I haven't watched it yet. I did finish Truth Be Told in the first season on mm. Apple TV, finally. Um, I finished that today. Very good. Do recommend. Uh, we'll be looking forward to the second season. Uh, and rewatched with my friend yesterday uh, when she was over because she hadn't seen it. Uh, two and a half of the three movies of the Two All the Boys I've Loved Before franchise on Netflix. Those are lovely, especially if you need soft things that will mm. take care of you and aren't scary or um, like deeply problematic, <laughs> which is what I needed. So all of those are good things, but they're all rehashes. I yeah. don't have anything new because I can't. Well, sometimes I don't I'm afraid of going into new things because I am very fragile right now. Yeah. I and understand. so I need comfort things that. It's like some people watch The Office over and over again. That's not my jam, but right. that's where I live right now is in the. You know, 17th where you watch Friends or whatever. Otherwise, other than exploring new things like that together with everybody, my thing is Harry Harryhausen movies, Godzilla, and yeah. Hammer films. Yes. And uh, particularly for some reason, I'll go on Hammer marathons. I was watching The Mummy the other day, Scars of Dracula, Taste the Blood of Dracula. You watched the Brendan Fraser Mummy? I, that's the mummy I care about. This was, yeah, this was Christopher Lee playing The Mummy. But Brendan Fraser, though. It's really great. But Ranger. it's not the same movie at all. No. No. Like, I've been wanting to go back into Outlander, but I know that there's going to be, like, six more rapes this season, and I can't. I, I can't. I, I, I don't. I can't. Right. I don't have it in me. Everything's hard, and I, I need soft. Right. That's where I'm at. So, okay. Next week. Under the yum yum tree, yes. which sounds like where the Jabberwock lives. So maybe don't go there. That's Jub Jub. That was a bird too, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Uh, until then, you can, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching latecomers podcast in the search bar. And until then, I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you, better late than never. Night, David.